All right, if you got your Bibles, uh, I know you guys are still busy fellowshiping, that's, that's great. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, and we'll continue our study of Matthew. In this passage today, I know it's only going to be four verses, four or five verses, but it's going to ask a very, 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 I'll side one more, very important question. And the question that we're going to ask, and the question that you are going to answer, and it is a question for you, each person in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, you have to answer this question. And the question is, do you really want to follow Jesus Christ? That's the question of this passage. And I say it this way. Do you really want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? And I would assume around this room that everybody in here will answer that in the affirmative. You will say, yes, we have, we want to, we want to continue to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But the, the, before you answer that, and I'm, I'm going to ask this at the very end. So I'm starting the, the sermon with a question. I'll end with the same question. Before you answer that question, do you really want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? You have to count the cost. You have to know what that really means. And that's what Jesus is getting to in this passage of Matthew 8. He's going to look at three different people and he's going to say, do you really want to follow me? And in the process of him asking, do you really want to follow me? He's going to give them the cost. He's going to tell them what that means. And I'm going to give a warning right here before we read this, that this is a very hard sermon. This is a, he's going to give us the cost. And it's a cost that most preachers don't give. It's a cost that most churches don't give. But it is a cost that Jesus Christ gives. And you know how we preach. We don't skip anything. So we're going to give you today, the title of this sermon is, The High Cost of Following the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's stand together and let's read this cost of following <coughs> Jesus. Starting in verse 18, I want to preach to you today on the high cost of following Jesus. Starting in verse 18, it says, Now, when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he was surrounded by crowds. He gave a commandment to depart unto the other side, the other side of the, the sea. And a certain scribe, here's the first man that comes to him, a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Verse 20, And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. There will be a third that we will add in Luke chapter 9. If you want to turn there with me, Luke 9, just as you're standing, I want to give you the third. The same story in a different gospel. Add the third that we will look at today. Luke 9, verses 61 and 62 and it says, and as you're turning, I'll just go ahead and read. And another, so there's a third that comes to Jesus. Another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So three different men approach Jesus and say, We want to follow you. But, and Jesus gives them the high cost of following Him. So let's pray together and then we'll study what it really means to follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You uh, for the truth of Your Word and that in this passage and throughout Your Word that You don't pull any punches. You, you, you don't have any fine line. That You always tell it how it is and like it is. And God, we need to hear this today. We need to know the cost of following You. Not just for these three men or for these twelve disciples or for Paul and and the others in the New Testament, but for all followers, there is a cost to being a Christian. Help us to see that and help us all, God, in our hearts to be willing to pay whatever 
the price may be to follow you. Please help me today be clear. Help me to just tell the truth. And God, may you by your spirit convict and convert. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I know you've all heard the phrase, and it's said a lot today, especially if you follow sports. There's a phrase that says, to jump on the bandwagon. I'm sure you've all heard that phrase before. You may even have said it. People have said that about me because I tend to be uh, a follower of the teams that are doing the, the, having the most success. Uh, whoever wins the Super Bowl, that is my favorite football team. That's, that's how I do things. I, I tend to jump on the bandwagon. My kids seem to do the, the same thing. It's, 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 uh, and that's what that means. I know you've heard it before. But let me tell you where it comes from. It's a phrase that comes from the 1800s, and it was invented by a man named, and you've heard this name before, P.T. Barnum. He's a guy who started really the circus business, and he would go from town to town and bring his circus into town. And what he would do, every town that he went into in the 1850s, 1860s, he would put them in a, a, a wagon, and he would have music playing, and they, they would all go through the, a parade through town, and people would be playing music, and they'd have their attractions, and everybody in the town would follow the the bandwagon to the circus is his way of getting attention, his way of, of gathering a crowd, his way of getting everybody to follow. You know, you had all this music playing, you had all these animals, you had the bearded lady, you had all these different attractions, and everybody would look and say, I've got to go see what that's about. And crowds upon crowds upon crowds would go and follow and watch the circus. And P.T. Barnum became a very, very rich man by bringing in these bandwagons. And again, it's used today for sports teams that are successful. We jump on the, the bandwagon or a, a popular movement. Even politicians have started using the bandwagon as they, as they have crowds that follow them. And people jump on the, the bandwagon and follow what's successful, what's popular, what's in, in style, the fads. They'll jump on the, the bandwagon. You say, Josh, why are you telling us this? Because in this passage here today, Jesus has a, has a bandwagon. He has people that are jumping on the bandwagon. He is popular. He's, seem, he's seemingly successful. He's powerful. He's done some miracles. He preached a sermon at, at the end of Matthew 7. When he got done preaching the Sermon on the Mount, it says that the crowds were astonished at what he said. And then he got done performing these miracles, and it says, and the crowds were amazed at what he just done. Look with me here. In, in eight, chapter 8, verse 1, look what it says. And when he has come down from the mountain... How many people followed him there? Great multitudes followed him when he came down from the mountain. And great multitudes, you guys understand this. I don't need to get into the Greek about it. Multitudes is more than three. He had a large crowd following him. And now look what it says in, in verse 18 that we just read. Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him. He had crowds that were flocking to him. He has this popular movement. He's, a, he's now become a, a famous man. He's a, he's a healer. Everybody wants healed. He's preaching powerfully. And everybody in this area is jumping on the bandwagon. They're going to follow Jesus. Everybody is. He's a great preacher. He's a great healer. He, he's, just, he's got all these people following him. So wouldn't you jump on the bandwagon? Wouldn't you be one that says, you know what? I've got to get in on this. I'm going to follow the crowd. I'm going to go, go with the flow. I'm going to follow this man named Jesus. But look what he does in verse 18. He sees these crowds all around him. And he says, he gives a commandment. He decides to leave. He's not going to keep gathering the crowd. He's going to thin the crowd out. So he's going to jump in a boat and he's going to go across the sea. 
And he looks and he says, he gave a commandment. I love this. He gives an order. Let's all go across the sea. And they're all from that area. They're all wanting to stay where they are. So he looks at them all and he says, you really want to follow me? Let's go across the sea. Let's see who really wants to follow me. And he says, let's go across the sea. So now these people in verse 18 have a decision to make. Will we stay where we are or will we follow Jesus across the sea? And you can see that in verse 23. I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture here. But when he, in verse 23, when he entered into the ship, his disciples followed him. And there was a great tempest in the sea. There's a storm out there. So these verses are in the middle of crowds following and a storm in the sea. So Jesus is looking at these people saying, let's see who really wants to follow me. Let's see who really wants to, to, to be my follower. Let's see who really wants to be my disciple. And what he does here is he's asking this question. He's giving them a decision to make. Their toes are at the, at the sea line. They're on the sand. And Jesus looks at them and says, are you going to follow me or not? Are you going to get in this boat with me or not? Are you going to follow me when it's easy and not when it's hard? Or what are you going to do here? So he's got a decision to make. And these three would-be followers, I call them wannabes, come walking up to him with her foot on the shore, with her toe in the water. I want you to get that picture in your mind. Their toes are in the water. Jesus is in the boat. And Jesus says, are you going to go with me or not? Do you want to follow me or not? Jesus makes them count the cost before they get in the boat. He tells them, this is what it's going to mean if you get in this boat with me. This is what it's going to mean if you follow me. He's, he's looking at them saying, do you really? Do you really want to follow me? Think about it before you get in here. Do you really want to follow me? And Jesus gives them a, a very high cost here of what it means to, to follow him. There's no fine print here. There's no pulling any punches. He says, this is what it means to follow me. If you want to be a part of my group, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to pay the price. And it's not just to these three that he's talking to. It's, it's us too. We need to understand that following Jesus is a very big deal. There's a, a, a high cost to following the Lord Jesus Christ. And have you counted that cost? Have you went over the, the, the agreement in a while of what it means to truly follow Jesus? It's more than a Sunday thing. So we need to look at this passage today and decide. And you've got to decide that for yourself. Would I get in the boat or not? Or would I stay where I'm at? Again, toes in the water. Jesus in the boat. Jesus says, here's what it's going to take if you want to follow me. So I'm looking around the room today and I want to ask all of you, would you get in the boat? Do you really want to follow Jesus? So let's look at the cost today. What will it cost us to follow Jesus? I want to show you the first guy. And I, I, I've given these guys names. And I know you guys probably... Don't like that, but I, it doesn't give them names here. So I gave them names. And, and I'm just kind of to, to separate who they are. You see, the first guy is going to cost him his comfort. And I, I gave him a name, Mr. Hasty. That's a, Mr. Hasty. Look what he says here. This is the, the, the cost of his comfort. It says there in verse 19, And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow you wherever you go. Wherever you go. I'm all in. This guy's hasty. He's, he's on the spot. It says he's a scribe. 
And these scribes were the authority. They were lawyers is what they were. So he's the authority of the law. He would copy down the law. He would edit the law. He would teach the law. He's a highly educated man. He's looked up to. Everybody loves these, these scribes, these scholars, these, these teachers, these interpreters of the law. Most scribes hated Jesus. This scribe wanted to follow Jesus. I'll go wherever you want to go. You tell me. I, I, I mean, I like this guy. He's eager. He's excited. He's like one of those little dogs that just jumps around, you know, and is ready to go anywhere, anytime. You know, he's just so fired up. He's heard the, the sermons. He's saw the, the miracles. And he's sitting there saying, I'm in. I'm all in. Sign me up, Jesus. I'll go wherever you go. That's more than across the sea. I'll go across the sea with you. I'll go across the world with you. I'll go wherever you go. Johnny gave us a sign language today for follow. I don't know if I'm going to get it right, but it's two thumbs. And it's like this right here. Okay? I mean, is, is that close? <laughs> I ain't going to do the raccoon. We'll, we'll just do the thumbs. <laughs> to follow. You see that? Here's Jesus. I like that you did that. You gave me a, a visual. Here's Jesus. Here's this Mr. Hasty. <laughs> I'll follow you wherever you go. You go over here, I'll go over here. You go over here, I'll go over here. Wherever Jesus goes, I'll go. Sign me up, I'm in. I'm all in. He boldly proclaims it. I'll go across the sea. I'll go anywhere else. Let's go. He's, he's all in. He's, he's hasty. He shows a willingness to go. This is a statement of total commitment. He's ready. He's answered the call. Have you ever seen this type? I've seen this type in churches. You know, just come up to you and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I, I, I'm all about it. Josh, we'll follow you. We'll do whatever you want to do. I'm here. I'm all about it. Makes a great profession. Makes a lifetime decision in a split second. He's, he's all in. And I've read this and I thought, wow, that's great. If I had that guy come up to me, Mr. Hasty walks up to me after church and says, let anything you say, I'm in. Man, I put him on staff. <laughs> this is great. This is what we want. I mean, I tell you, if I'm Jesus, I say, get in the boat, let's go. But Jesus is different. He, he says, whoa, <laughs> calm down. This is like a speed bump. Whoa. Wait just a second. Cool it down a second. Cool your emotions down and think about this. I think that's what we need to do in our churches today is, whoa. Cool it down a little. So Jesus says, let's count the cost before you get in, man. Let's think about this. And look what he says. I mean, can you imagine if somebody comes to me and says, Josh, I want to get saved. I want to join the church. I, I'm all in. And I look at him and I say, you know, <laughs> foxes have holes. <laughs> Birds have nests. But that's what Jesus says. Here. Look what he says in verse 20. And Jesus says unto him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have their nests. But the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. It's a proverb. And he uses the, the term Son of Man which is Jesus' favorite term for himself. It's a term describing his humanity. It's a term describing his humility. The term son of God is his deity. And the term son of man is his humanity. So here he describes himself as, as man because Jesus is both God and man. Truly God and truly man. So he says, the son of man, a, a title of humility. He says, the son of man, doesn't. Uh, the foxes have a place to sleep tonight. The foxes that Jesus created has a place to sleep tonight. When the sun goes down, this fox running around is going to go to its hole. 
And that bird that you see flying in the air, it's going to go to its nest. But the Son of Man, the one that is truly God and truly man, who has come down into this sinful world, the creator of the universe, the sovereign king of all, I don't have a pillow to lay my head on. That's a big statement. You say, what is he saying there? That the Son of Man doesn't know where he's going to sleep tonight. That when he was born, he didn't have, there was no room for him in the inn. That the Son of Man had nowhere to sleep. Jesus is giving him the cost here. The reality of following him. He's saying, if you follow me. Get this, and I want you to understand this, Mr. Hasty. He's telling him, if you follow me, you might not have a place to sleep tonight either. That this isn't going to be health and wealth and popularity and success. This isn't going to be all this healing miracles that you just saw. All these people that are flocking to me that you think is, is so great. It's not going to be all that. There's, there's going to be some times where, where there's going to be hard times. It's not going to be Motel 6. I shouldn't have used that hotel. <laughs> hotel 6. I should have used the Holiday Inn. That's, that's the upper end there. <laughs> You're not going to have anywhere to sleep if you follow me. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be what you might expect it to be. It's not going to be all excitement. You may be without the most basic comforts in the world if you follow me. You might be homeless. You might. This is what he's telling you. And that guy's sitting there with his toes in the water and Jesus is looking at him saying, this is what it's going to mean for you. If I don't have a place to lay my head, then my followers aren't going to have a place to lay their head either. You might be, get this, he's telling them, you might be homeless. You might be hated. You might be hunted. You might be killed. You might lose everything if you follow me. Count the cost. Let me give you another picture of this so you can get it in your minds. There was a young kid, and I heard this in a sermon this week. There was a young kid that was watching a parade of soldiers go through town. And this parade of soldiers was slowly walking their way through town with their pristine uniforms on, with their guns on their shoulders, with their medals around their neck, with everybody saluting them and cheering for them. And that young kid said, I must be a soldier. If I'm a soldier, then I will get the gun and I will get the medals and I will get the uniform and I will get the cheering. <coughs> And this young boy went and talked to a soldier and he said, oh yeah, you see all this. But what you don't see is the training. What you don't see are the wars. What you don't see is the blood. What you don't see is the death. What you don't see is the high likelihood of being buried in an unmarked grave. You see the show, but you're missing the reality. And Jesus is telling this man here, you've seen the show. I've healed the leper. I've healed the paralytic. I've gotten rid of the fevers. Everything has come my way and crowds are flocking and cheering and loving. You've seen the show, but that's not the reality. If you follow me, you will not be without the most basic comforts in the world. That's a big deal. Jesus isn't a car salesman here trying to seal the deal, is he? He's, he's, he I mean, if you had a guy go to you, you're a car salesman, they're like, I want it! And the car salesman says, whoa! <laughs> Wait a second! You know how much this is going to cost you? You know how much gas it's going to take this thing? 
No, Jesus doesn't do that. He, he says, count the cost. Jesus, why does he can't say count the cost? Because Jesus isn't after wannabes. Jesus isn't after somebody who's going to be here today and gone tomorrow. Jesus isn't after fans. He's after followers. He doesn't want bandwagon followers. He wants believing followers who will follow him no matter where he goes. That they will truly be like that right there. He wants people that are willing to pay the price. So this guy, Mr. Hasty, like of all of us here, sounds great, wants to follow. He's eager. He's excited. He said, count me in. I have decided to follow Jesus. But as soon as Jesus shows him the cost, the discomfort, the rejection, the loss, the suffering, that he might be without a pillow tonight, that it won't be a life of ease, he thinks it's too much to lose, too big of a risk. And with his toes in the water, he turns and he walks away. The cost was too high. He was not willing to give up his comfort to follow Christ. He walks away unwilling to be poor for Jesus. He walks away and says, I'll follow, I'll follow you anywhere, becomes but not there. I hear people say that all the time. I'll follow Jesus anywhere, but not to church on Sunday. I'll do anything Jesus wants me to do. Oh, but not that. The cost was too high. So let me apply this. We all here have great comforts. We all had a pillow to lay our head on last night. I studied this passage in my office with a cup of coffee with a heater at my legs, and it was 80 degrees outside. In the comforts of, of the best office you could find. I know what it means to have comfort. You know what it means to have comfort. And Jesus isn't going to ask all of us to give up our comforts. He's not. He's only, all of us aren't going to be without a pillow tonight if you follow Jesus. But I want you to look at it. Not most of us will be asked to, to give up our comforts. But if you read story after story of missionaries, of men throughout history, of Paul, of the early church, they all were, get this, willing to give up their comforts. He may not ask us to give up our comforts, but we must be willing to give up our comforts. That we would look at Jesus and say, whatever you want of me, I will let you have. So let me ask you this. Would you be willing to be poor for Jesus? If it was Jesus or riches, toes in the water, which way would you go? Would you be willing to give up your job for Jesus? Would you be willing to Pack your bags and move for Jesus. Would you be willing to lose friends for Jesus? Would you be willing, we're getting ready to look at it, to lose family for Jesus? We must get to the point where we say Jesus is greater than anything else in the world. And I will give up anything for Jesus. He may not ask you to give anything up. But we must be willing to give everything up for Jesus. Because there's nothing more valuable in this world than the forgiveness and salvation that he offers. I'd rather have Jesus than all the comforts of the world. We must be willing to give up our comforts to follow Jesus. Point number two. That was Mr. Hasty and his comforts. Let me now give you Mr. Hesitant and his convenience. You see that in verse 21. And another. You see that? And another, this guy, he, he doesn't want to give up his convenience. It will cost you your convenience. Oh, we love our conveniences. 
Look what he says. And another of his disciples, and this disciple is not one of the twelve. That word disciple, it would be with a, a small d and not a big d. The big D would be a disciple that is John and James and Matthew and Andrew and the major disciples. This guy's just a learner. He's a, he's a guy who wants to, to learn from Jesus. So he shows up and he said unto him, Lord, which is a term of master. He says, here's what he says. Suffer me first to go and bury my father. So you see what he says there? He says, I want to follow you. I want to. I want to, I want to, I want to get in that boat with you. He's toes in the water, Jesus in the boat. Master, Lord, I want to go with you across the sea. I want to follow you over there. But first, I want to go, but first. Are you with me? I want to follow you, but I have something else to do first. I have other things on my schedule. I'll follow you, but first. And look what he says. What's, what's that one thing he's got to do? This sounds reasonable to me. But first, I've got to bury my dad. You say, that sounds okay, right? That's okay. Bury your father. They'll suffer me first to go and bury my father. But what does this mean? What's he asking for? Well, understand, his dad's not dead. If his dad was dead, he wouldn't have his toes in the water right there talking to Jesus. He would be back there with his dad. He'd be burying him. Whereas in that time, you didn't wait around to bury him. As soon as somebody died, you buried him on the spot. So he's, his dad's not dead yet. What he's saying is, oh, his dad will die one day. It may be a week. It may be a month. It may be a year. He's saying, I've got other responsibilities back home. I'm going to stay with my dad and take care of him and bury him. But after he dies, and after I bury him, and after I get my inheritance from him, Then I'll follow you. Right. Now isn't a convenient time for me. <laughs> oh, I hear that one all the time. Now's not good for me. Let me check my schedule. Let me check my agenda. I'll follow you, but not right now. I'll follow you, but not today. Oh, we got high school kids that say that right now. I'll follow Jesus, just not in these four years of high school. Oh, I'll follow Jesus, but I've got some college fun to have first. Oh, I'll follow Jesus, but I've got something that, that and that, that word that is key in this passage, but first let me do something else. You know what this guy's doing? He wants to follow Jesus when it's convenient. He's dragging his feet. He's making excuses. He's putting Jesus on delay. He's too busy. It's not convenient. He has something else to do, somewhere else to be. Something else is more important than Jesus is. It's not convenient for me right now in this season of my life. My dad is, you know, he's getting old. I'm going to take care of him is what he's saying. And what is Jesus going to say? You see this? Look at that. I mean, Jesus, a little bit harsh here. A little bit shocking. But Jesus said unto him, No, 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 no. You follow me and let the dead bury their dead. You follow me and let, and let this is another proverb, let the spiritually dead bury their dead. Let somebody else do that. You, this, is, this is a shocking statement. You follow me, you get in the boat, somebody else can go bury your dad. You say, what is he saying? That sounds shocking. Here's the warning part. 
Jesus is saying there is nothing and no one more important than following me. Amen. Burying your dad in the Jewish times was the most important responsibility a man had. And he's saying here, even that responsibility isn't more important than following me. <coughs> Bearing your father's good, following Jesus is better. There is no first before Jesus. Jesus, if you want to follow Jesus, he takes priority before everything else and before everyone else. Jesus won't take second place to anything or anyone, and that includes family. The high cost of following Jesus. This is not how we treat it in our low-cost Christianity, where we follow Jesus at convenient times. We follow Jesus when it's good for us. We obey Jesus when we want to. When was the last time anyone in here was ever inconvenienced by Jesus? Hmm. When was the last time that Jesus had a command in his word that he wanted you to do? And you looked at it and said, I don't want to do it, but I want to do it. Was there was a place you needed to be or give or go? You said, you know what, that inconvenienced me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Why? Because I follow Jesus. Jesus says here, following me will inconvenience you. In a world today where nobody wants to be inconvenienced, Jesus says you will be inconvenienced by this. If you get in this boat, it will inconvenience you. Jesus says here, following me will change your schedule. Amen. Following me, you better burn your plans, burn your wheel, burn your agenda. Follow me. It's a command. Follow me. I like this because Jesus has commanded fevers. He's commanded paralytics. He's commanded disease. He's commanded leprosy. He's going to demand a command storms. He's going to command demons. He now commands us. And the question is, all those obey. Now will you? Follow me. And Mr. Hesitant here, this guy wanted to, like a lot of us. It's a great idea. He loved Jesus, but he wasn't willing to be inconvenienced by Jesus. Hmm. I'll go when my spouse goes. Hmm. I'll go when I feel like it. I'll follow the commands that are easy, not the ones that are hard. It's convenient to say judge not. It's inconvenient to say repent or you'll perish. Jesus says, if you follow me, you better say bye to your convenience. Yeah. And he walks away. He goes back. He waits, likely missing the opportunity of a lifetime as he has his feet in the water. And Jesus says, it'll cost you convenience. And he turns and he walks away. Back to his house, back to his father. And Jesus gets in the boat and he goes to the other side. And this guy misses his chance because he wasn't willing to pay the price of giving up his convenience. There was something more important in his life than Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, is there anything in your life more important 
in following Jesus Christ. The key term here is first. You see that? I would underline it there. It says that another disciple said to him, Lord, suffer me first. That's a term of priority. There's something more important. There's something on top of the list other than Jesus. Look at your priority list and you tell me that. Is Jesus there or is something else there? Jesus says, if you want to follow me, whatever's at the top of your priority list goes down. Spouse, kids, father, mother. Didn't Jesus actually say, if you want to love me, follow me, you're going to hate your mother and father? It'll be like you hate them. That's, that's how high he should be on the priority list. These are shocking words, are they not? Jesus refuses to take second place. Jesus in Matthew 6 said, Seek ye second the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek ye third the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek ye, you guys know that I'm, I'm, I'm wrong there. He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put me first. Put me at the top of the priority list. If I'm not at the top, then you really don't want to follow me. If you're not willing to be inconvenienced by me, then don't even bother following me. You can't <laughs> follow Jesus at your own convenience. Right. So now Jesus has run off two would-be followers. <laughs> two wannabes. I mean, that's not how you grow a church, is it? <laughs> but there's a third. Well, turn with me back to Luke chapter 9. Same story. Luke just adds third. So we've seen so far, just to summarize here, that there's a comfort cost to following Jesus. And there's a convenience cost to following Jesus. And now this last one, you'll see that there's going to be a commitment cost. It's going to take a wholehearted commitment of your life to follow Jesus. Look what he says in this one. You'll see that and at the top of my page here. It says the high cost of discipleship. It says in verse 57, you'll see it came to pass as they went in the way, a certain man went unto the Lord and said, I'll follow where, wherever you go. So there's the first one. There's uh, the scribe of Matthew 8. Verse 59, he said unto, unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. That's the, the disciple of Matthew 8. And then verse 61, the one we already read. And another also said, Lord... I will follow thee, but let me but. You see that? But. I will follow you, but. I should probably stop right there. This guy's the next in line. He wants to follow too. It's like the first guy, the scribe, his toes were in the water. He says, Jesus, I'm all in. And by the time he has a conversation with Jesus, he's, he's walking away with his head down. Next guy comes up and he walks with his head down. The next guy comes up and this guy, we don't know who he is. I call him Mr. Homesick. Mr. Half-Hearted. And another said, Lord, I will follow you, but... There's a big uh-oh there. Anytime you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, but... Yes. You're in trouble. Let me first go... You see this? And it's not even a bad request. <laughs> Let me first... See that word first again? i got something more important than you, Jesus. This is a hard sermon. 
But let me first go and bid them farewell which are at home at my house. He says, let me go home first and tell my family bye. That doesn't sound bad, does it? I mean, you know, if I'm going on a trip, I mean, I'm going to tell my family bye. I mean, I left uh, last summer to go to, to California for two weeks, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to go, but let me first hug my wife and hug my kids, and, and I'm going to give them a kiss, and I'm going to, you know, just tell them bye. I'm leaving. I'm, I'll be back, but, I, you know, I want to say goodbye. That doesn't sound like a bad thing. It, it sounds okay. It's like him saying, hold the boat for me. You know, his feet are in the water. He says, hold on, Jesus. Don't leave just yet. No, don't, don't, don't take off yet. I've got to go back and, and tell my family goodbye. I want to give my kids a kiss. Can I go? And Jesus, look what he says. No. That's the first word he says there. Jesus said to him, no. No. Why is this? This guy is, again, he's, he's homesick. He's divided. He's wavering. He's playing two sides. He wants to be at home, but also follow Jesus. He wants to play both ends to the middle. He's undecided. He's unresolved. He's, un he's uncommitted. It, Jesus understands if this guy goes back, he's not coming with me. <coughs> he's going to go back. There's family going to say there, you know, no, 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 no. You don't need to go. Don't go, Dad. Don't go. Stay here. Stay here. John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress called this guy Mr. Facing Both Ways. I want to follow, but I want to stay at home. I want to follow, but I want to stay at home. I want to follow, but I want to stay at home. Let me say it one more time. I want to follow, but I really, I still got ties at home. He's Mr. Homesick. Jesus knows the heart of this man. He, he knows where he's at. And Jesus said unto him, another proverb. These are three straight proverbs that he gives him. This is probably my favorite. No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You say, what does that one mean? He's saying, don't be like an unfocused farmer. I'll say this, don't be like my boys when they mow. I'm trying to teach my boys how to mow. They'll get out there and they're push mower. And that's what he's talking about here. That they're not really committed to the task. That you've got your, he says here, you've got your hand to the plow, but you're looking back in some other direction. I'm going to, I'm going to call out Isaiah because him and Christian were out mowing for me this summer. And instead, I, mean, I was out weed eating. Instead of taking videos of, of them mowing, they put their hands to the mow, <laughs> to the plow, and they kept, they'd go and they'd look back and say, Video. And before you know it, they're mowing over here and somewhere else. <laughs> before you know it, they're over here mowing somewhere else. And I'm sitting there, I've got all kinds of just different directions going on in my yard. And it's like a bad haircut. You know, I've got to high grass here and low grass here. And they got their hands to the plow, but their heads back somewhere else looking at their mother. They're not committed to the task. Somebody who's committed to the task isn't looking backwards. You can't plow. I've never plowed. I've mowed. You can't mow in one direction and look in the other. You're not going to do your job very well. You can't be divided with your attention. You can't be looking in two different directions. Your feet going one way and your head looking the other. It's impossible to do that. That's what Jesus is saying here. You can't be in two places at once. It's with me or it's not. Cut the cord, man. You're attached to the apron strings. Leave your mom and your dad and your, uh, your family there and go. Follow me. Break free from the family. 
You say, that's harsh. No, 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 because in this time and in most religions in the world, if somebody commits to following Jesus, their greatest enemy is their family. You say, what does that mean? If you get saved today, you go home to your family, they're going to say, good for you. Good. You get saved in the Mideast, and you go home to your Muslim family, and you say, I got saved today. I'm following Jesus instead of Muhammad. They're not going to say, good for you. They're going to say, you're dead to me. Right. Done. It happens in Mormonism. It happens in, with Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, we just keep on naming the religions. If you turn to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I want to follow Him, they're going to disown you. You're done. You're dead. When Paul left Judaism and he became a Christian and followed Christ, they had a funeral for him with a casket and all, but no body in it, as a symbol of this guy is no longer alive to us. He's dead. So you don't go back home and follow me. You just follow me. What a statement. Jesus is giving him a high cost. You can't have. You must have. This is a, a full commitment here. Both feet in and facing that direction. Amen. Wholehearted, single-minded devotion. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Just a period in the sentence. It's the same thing with Lot's wife. When they were leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, leave and don't look back. And what did Lot's wife do? She turned back. Pillar of salt. Israel in the wilderness, what did they keep doing? Moses, we want to go back to Egypt. And you know what they did for 40 years? Like my boys mowing. <laughs> Just in circles all over the place, everywhere. You know why? Because you can't go straight when you're looking back. Isaiah's wishing he was downstairs in children's church right now. <laughs> if, you're, if you're divided in your attention, you go off track, you'll be easily distracted, you're going to go in every direction but where you want to go. It's single-minded devotion or it's nothing at all. I mean, Jesus is saying that. I mean, you, I'm not pulling any punches here. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God has no place here with us. I'll give you two examples. Paul said in Philippians 3, I'm forgetting those things which are behind and I'm reaching forward to those things which are before. I'm pressing towards the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. There was a man named Cortez. I'll give you two examples here. I like this one. Not a good man. He came over from to Mexico in the early, I think, 1200s. And he came to Mexico to loot them, to take over, to take their things. Sailed in on several different ships. And he had all kind, and he was coming in with like hundreds of men. And he's going to face the Mexicans there who had large armies. And it was going to be a hard time for him. And this man named Cortez, as he pulled up the captain of these ships and he got all of his men out, he blew up his ships, set fire to them, said, Guys, we're not going back. We're done with home. This is our home now. You know those guys that are watching the ships burn? Why is he doing that? He wanted wholehearted, single devotion to the task that was at hand. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It's saying goodbye to the old life. It's untying the rope. It's breaking from the past. It's cutting the rope on my old relationships, my old lifestyle, my old religion 
my old habits. Yes. I'm breaking free from the old me because all old, old things have passed away and all things have become new. I'm not looking back. And you know, that old song that I love to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Cutting ties. Those friends that caused me to mow like my boys. Cut ties. Those old habits that are, that are that die hard, that, that, that make us go, go back and, and not do what we ought to do, cut it off. Those old relationships, and, and, and again, the old religion, you can't, you can't play both religions. Cut it off. Cut the cord. It's one way or the other. What does this guy do? He wanted to come to Jesus, but... He was unwilling to commit, unwilling to sign on the dotted line. And he walked away back to his family, back to his old life, and he let the opportunity pass. Why? Because Jesus will have no half-hearted commitments. He won't. There's no comfortable disciples. There's no convenient followers. It's Jesus' way or the highway. That's a big statement. If you want to follow Jesus, you're sitting, you may be sitting there in your pews right now saying, you know what, that's a little too much. I don't, I, don't, I don't buy it. You give me another interpretation of these verses. Amen. It's easy. Salvation is easy. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Discipleship is hard. Yeah. It's costly. Uh, let me say it this way. This is pretty good. Salvation is free. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Following Jesus is the most costly thing in the world. We seem to get those two things mixed up. Everything's easy. It's not. So who in the world can demand this from us? Not me. I'm not demanding it from you. I don't have the authority to do that. Do I? You get up here and say, if you want to be a part of this church, you've got to give up convenience. You've got to give up comfort. It must be 100% commitment. You look at me and say, who does this guy think he is? Trying to tell me what to do. You know? My kids say that to me. Who do you think you are? I'm dad. Go mow. <laughs> Who's this guy think he is? He's the same guy who says demons go out. And they obey. He's the same guy, same man, who tells diseases to leave and they leave. So the, the, the man who commands demons, the man who commands disease, has the authority to also command his disciples. So here's the moment of truth for us. Go back to Matthew 8. said I would do this, so I'm going to do it. After looking at the cost of comfort, the cost of convenience, and the cost of commitment, do you really want to follow Jesus? Kids, adults, teenagers, do you really want to follow Him? Knowing now that it may cost you your convenience, your comfort, and your full commitment to Him, do you really want to do this? Is that what you want to do? Will you get in the boat 
and say, I will follow you wherever you want to go. Would you get in the boat? Do you know how many got in the boat with him? Didn't we say multitudes upon multitudes upon multitudes upon multitudes upon multitudes were following him? And how many got in the boat to go to the other side? Just a handful. Just a handful. So if I looked at you today and I said, would you be willing to get in that boat with Jesus and to count that cost? Do you know what's going to happen? He's going to get in the boat. Watch this. This is so good. They get in the boat. The first thing that happens is a terrible storm. <laughs> there you go. You know, later on he's going to say, I'm going to send you out to, as a sheep to the midst of wolves. <laughs> go. And then and you'll see that later on. Next week's sermon is, is the storm with the disciples in the boat. <laughs> then the, after that, there's a, an attack of demon possession. <laughs> this isn't going to be an easy road. So let me ask you this. Out of a crowd that we have pretty good here today, how many would really get in the boat if Jesus said that to them? What we need to do, and I want to show you a couple more verses. Matthew chapter 4. I love this. Because this is what he wants. These three that we just saw were unwilling. Let me give you a couple of examples here. Matthew 4, verse... Let's look at verse 19. Or verse 18. We've already preached this. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew's brother, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. They were at work. And Jesus said unto him, Follow me, follow me. There's the same term. Johnny really helped me out there with that. He's going to tell me after church I'm doing it wrong. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In verse 20 is Peter and Andrew's response. And they said, Not now. I've got more fishing to do. Is that what it says? And they straightway, immediately, left their nets and followed Him. And these disciples followed Him wherever He went. You want another verse? Verse 22. Verse 21. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father. And they were at work. They were mending their nets. So they were with their dad. You see that? They've got responsibilities with their dad. And they're working and they're fishing. And Jesus said, mending their nets. And he called them. In verse 22, And they immediately left their ship and their father and followed him. He now has four real disciples. They immediately left everything they had and followed Him. Family, job, you name it, they left it. You want another one? Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. I've not studied this yet. I have no idea why Matthew puts this here. We'll see it later on. Matthew 9. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew. What book are we in right now? Matthew. So who's this he's talking to here? Matthew. Did you guys put two and two together? And Jesus passed forth from thence, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. He's at his job, tax collector. Very well-to-do job. 
And he saith unto him, what's those words? Anybody? Follow me. Hmm. And Matthew, what did Matthew do? Oh, I got a job. I got work to do. I got something else going on. But first, and he arose and he followed him. Matthew tells us the story of his own disciple, his own calling. And he, he got up and immediately, immediately followed Jesus. That's who's in, getting in a boat with Jesus. Understand this. This type of disciple is the type of disciple that changes the world. Amen. Fans, half-hearted, convenient, comfortable disciples don't change the world. You know what they do? They sit in church and come whenever they want to come and give whenever they want to give and do whatever they want to do and go out and live however they want to live. They're not following Jesus. They're following themselves. And they don't, they don't change the world. They don't do nothing. They don't make a difference. There's no impact. There's, no, there's, there's nothing going on. Only those who follow Jesus, wherever He goes with whatever He says, are going to make an impact in this world. And they got up and they went. Why did they go? Now I'm closing. They knew the cost. There's a high, high cost to following Jesus. But the value of following Jesus is even higher. The value of following Jesus is infinite. I'll say this. I decided to follow Jesus. And you've got, you got to understand this. I decided years ago to follow Jesus. But you have to get up every single day and say, I'm going to follow Jesus today. It's not a decision you made a long time ago. It's a decision that you make every single day. And every single day, I can say there's a cost. It's high. There's a price to pay. It's going to be hard. It's not a life of ease. But I will tell you this. It'll be worth it now and it'll be worth it in the end. There is infinite value to following the Lord Jesus Christ. So which side are you going to be on? The side of these three who was not willing? Or the side of the four or five I just showed you who were willing? Jesus says today to all of us, everybody in this room, He says two words. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Do you, you understand those two words? Follow me. Wherever I go, whatever I say to do, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Question is, do you really want to follow him? Is it worth it to you to follow him? You may lose comfort, you may lose convenience. It'll be a commitment. But in the end, it'll be worth it if you follow him. So to those who today who are unbelievers, Jesus says, follow me. Lay down your life, lay down your self. Give him your sin and follow him. Here today is the believer. You say, I've heard this before. I've done this. No, today, make that same commitment. I will follow Jesus. Today, right now. I will, I will, I will follow Jesus. Don't be like these three and walk out of this church disappointed that you couldn't follow the Lord Jesus Christ. 
follow me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I know this is this is hard. There's no doubt about it. This was difficult to do. But to place this high cost in front of all of these people here today, even in front of myself. But I needed this reminder for myself that when I think it should be comfortable, that it's not guaranteed. And when I want to be about my convenience, that that's not where my priority should be. And I need to be refocused on where my commitment is to you. So, but I pray that today, so simple, the Father, one step in front of the other. And I pray that everybody in pews today would make that decision, whether they made it years ago or they're making it fresh today, that they will follow you. Because there's nothing in this world more valuable than following you. You are the pearl of a great price that we would give up everything, risk everything to follow. You are the treasure that's in the field that we would sell all just to have that treasure. You mean everything to us. And God, we want to be a church full of individuals, husbands and wives and children that will follow you wherever you go. Please, Father, help us to follow you. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music plays, y'all.